I thought Judy was the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen. I was 21 years old and single, had just gone to the church where she was a member as a youth intern for a year. She had every quality I thought I could ever want in a girl. A few weeks after I arrived, however, she left for a few months in India to visit a relative who was serving as a missionary there and to get some experience, for she too was a college student. It wasn't long after she went to India that I got a letter one day from Judy. Oh, she told me about the things that she had been doing, etc., 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 but it was the end of the letter that attracted my attention, for she signed it, Love, Judy. I went for months on that one four-letter word, love. Strange she never wrote me again. <laughs> but I could hardly wait to see her when she arrived back in Spokane, Washington, after being gone for those months. I soon realized after she returned that I had misunderstood what she meant by the word love. We both had the same word in mind, but she had one thing in the meaning, and, and I had something entirely different in the meaning. It's easy to be misunderstood, isn't it? Have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever said something using the best words that you knew how to use, only to find that in the end... The other person didn't get the message you were trying to communicate. Or have you ever done something that you thought was appropriate, even a very nice thing, only to realize after you had done it that the other person misread what you were doing and why? Misunderstanding is a problem in the human race. And sometimes it creates a lot of pain. Often misunderstanding occurs because of a lack of knowledge. If I had known Judy a little better, I might have realized that she wrote to everybody signing her letters, Love, Judy. The possibility of misunderstanding, in fact, is in direct proportion to the lack of knowledge we have of another person. The more that we know about another the less the likelihood that there will be a misunderstanding. Maybe that's why God is so often misunderstood. Because, you see, knowing God diminishes the possibility that we will misunderstand Him. Not that we will ever fully know God, of course, because He's beyond our ability to know, but there is some limited sense in which we can and ought to know God. And Jeremiah tells us that if we're going to boast, let it not be in our, our riches, our might, or our wisdom, but in the fact that we discern God and have an intimate knowledge of Him.
misunderstanding God was graphically illustrated in a letter that was written to Dear Abby a few weeks ago. A letter which she printed in her January 15, 1991 column. It was written to Dear Abby from a bereaved mother. And she writes, Dear Abby, I am troubled with something a reader wrote, quote, What right do we mortals have to demand an explanation from God? Close quote. Abby, that writer has never known the gut-wrenching pain of losing a child. In 1988, my beautiful 22-year-old daughter was killed by a drunk driver. At first I screamed, he not only killed her, he killed me too, only I can't die. I then got on my knees and begged God, you can do anything, you can perform miracles, you can bring my daughter back to life, please God, let me trade places with her, please let me lie in that coffin and let her get out to live her life. She's only 22, God. She has never been married or experienced the miracle of being a mother. I am old. I have lived. I've had my chance at life, but she hasn't. Please, please, let me trade places with her. You can do it. You can make it so that all the people who thought she died won't be surprised that it's me in the coffin and not her. Please, God, let her have a chance to live. She didn't deserve to die. And as you can see, Abby, I'm still here. And not because I want to be, either. Mostly because I didn't have the guts to pull the trigger or take the pills to get me out of this terrible pain and loss that I live with every minute of my life. God didn't see fit to bargain with me. God doesn't plea bargain like men do. The drunk who killed my precious daughter, and me too, spent less than six months behind bars. Today he walks in the sun while my little girl is in a dark grave with no sun. And though I also walk in the sun, my heart and soul are in that dark grave with her. God didn't answer my prayers, and I resent being told that I have no right to question God. If there is a God, and if I ever get to meet him face to face, you can bet your life that I will have plenty of whys for him to answer. I want to know why my little girl died and that drunk was allowed to go on living. I love her more than my life and I miss her so. I am mad that I am having to live in a world where she no longer lives and I want to know why. Why shouldn't I have the right to ask God? Aren't we supposedly created in his image? If so, surely he has a heart and soul that are capable of hurting just as I hurt. Why would he not expect me to, be, to question if he has anything to do with miracles? I don't fear the Lord, and I don't fear hell either. I know what hell is like. I've already been there since the day my precious daughter was killed. Signed, A Bereaved Mother. Here we have an illustration of a lady who is crying out against God, and we understand her hurt. 
her sense of desperation. But she has one, she is one who has misunderstood God because she doesn't really know God. Knowing God is your highest privilege and your greatest necessity. Oh, somebody says, I don't want to learn about theology. Listen. Listen to the words of George Verwer. There is an unfortunate tendency some of us have to look down upon theologians. I have heard some young people say, I don't need theology. How ridiculous. They don't need to study about God. There's no greater study that can take our minds and our spirits than the study of God. What does this knowledge of God do for us? Well, we saw last week that it transforms our relationship to God in the first place. For one who knows God has great energy for God, has great thoughts for God, has great boldness for God, and great contentment in God. All of those thoughts coming from the book of J.I. Packer, Knowing God. We also saw that knowing God results in our lives and their values being transformed. No longer do we live for riches, for might, for wisdom. But we live rather and put as the highest value in our life, knowing Him and understanding Him, that He is the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. But today I'd like to suggest a third thought, and that is that this knowledge of God that we're talking about also transforms your response to God's dealings in your life. For as you learn of God and His sovereignty, His faithfulness, His mercy, His justice, and so on, the circumstances that once frightened you or angered you, the situations that once mystified you or wounded you can then be accepted as part of a larger scheme, the breadth of which you and I cannot now fully appreciate or see. That's why Joseph was able to respond the way that he did to his own brothers who sold him. For when he had the opportunity to get even, You remember he said to them, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Joseph had come to know God. And those circumstances in his life over which he could have remained angry and bitter were accepted by him because he saw the broader scheme of what God is like. God meant it for good. Or consider the Apostle Paul, who writes to the Philippians from a jail cell in Rome, being chained to a guard on each side of him. And instead of wondering what God was up to and questioning the Almighty, he said, the things that have fallen out to me have accomplished the furtherance of the gospel. The loss of a loved one, the unexpected reversal of fortune, the news of a life-threatening illness, 
the collapse of a relationship, the betrayal of someone you trusted. These and many other life situations become tolerable and even embraced to the one who knows God. Because knowing God transforms our response to God's dealings in our lives. I wish that bereaved mother might come to know God. It wouldn't bring her daughter back, but it would help her to deal with the great loss that she has endured. It would help her to surrender her loved one to God and to accept her admittedly sorrowful circumstances as having meaning and purpose in God's sovereign and providential plan for her life. Knowing God doesn't mean there's no pain. Don't misunderstand. The emotions that accompany life's circumstances can run the gamut. Even for those who know God, there are deep human feelings that are very, very real. But those feelings, you see, are contained and they are channeled by a spiritual grasp of God so that those feelings become healthy and God-honoring expressions of the human heart. The lady who sang this morning before the message gave me a little card almost four years ago now upon the death of my mother. On the card are printed some simple words by a lady named Glenna Oldham. They're entitled, Our Sovereign God, and Miss Oldham writes these words. High and marvelous are the mysteries in our Almighty God. His ways are far beyond our understanding. Nothing is done by mere chance or happenstance. And should it seem so in my sight, Lord, then surely blindness has come upon me. There is no greater blindness than the blindness that comes to the human spirit because one does not know God. An intimate knowledge of God does not come quickly or easily or cheaply. There's no shortcut for it. You can't buy a pound of God to get familiar with so that you can then consider if you want to know the rest of him. You can't pick up a second-hand understanding of the Almighty. Knowing God is time-consuming, it requires discipline, and it demands that everything is first on the altar. Knowing God requires of me in the first place that I acknowledge that I poorly understand Him now, that I admit that I know him very little and greatly need to know him more. And secondly, 
that I then determined to seek him with all of my heart. That is required. We seek him in the word and through prayer. Why is it necessary to know God this way? Why can't we take a course on God in small church or in a Bible school or a seminary? Why can't we simply take a course and pass it and say, now I know God? Well, the answer to that is that God is not merely a subject to study. He is not merely a theory to examine. He is not an idea to explore. But God is a being. He is a being. He is a personal being who is capable of being known only through personal communion. And so if we would know God, it means that we must practice Communion with Him regularly. Just as we practice getting to know our friends or our loved ones by spending time with them. On a merely human level, the process can be complicated, can't it? Because we can only know another person to the degree that that person desires to be known by us and is willing to reveal Himself so that we might know Him. So it can be complicated. But the fact is that on the divine level, God is willing that we might know him. And God has already revealed himself to us so that we might, through his word and through the person of Jesus Christ, the Almighty desires to be known. Now remember that to know a person is more than merely knowing some facts about his history. To know a person means to understand how that person thinks, how that person reacts or responds or behaves under specific circumstances. And that's how we need to know God. J.I. Packer again helps us when he says, The Bible puts flesh on these bare bones of ideas by using pictures and analogies and telling us that we know God in the manner of a son knowing his father, a wife knowing her husband, a subject knowing his king, and a sheep knowing its shepherd. Those four analogies are throughout the Word of God telling us that we know Him in the same way that those analogies work. And it's interesting, as Packer points out, that each of those analogies involves the one who is knowing the other looking up to the other and the other promising to provide for the needs of the one who desires to know Him. And so it is with God. Isn't it great to know that God never misunderstands us? People misunderstand us from time to time. 
because they don't know us, perhaps. But God never misunderstands you because he knows you. He knows you better than anyone. And so God is never surprised at you. You never pull one on God. And God is never frustrated by you. You'll never catch God wringing his hands over you. And God is never confused by anything you do. Because he knows you. He knows you. He knows you. And yet he loves you more than anyone in the world. That's one reason I love that Gaither chorus that we have sung from time to time around here. That says, I am loved. I am loved. I can risk loving you. For the one who knows me best, what? Loves me the most. Isn't that great? What comfort there is in knowing that the God who knows me through and through is the God who loves me more than anyone in the whole universe. He never misunderstands me. But the fact is that I can and too often do misunderstand him because I don't know him like I should. The fears that you and I have, our failures to trust, our reluctance to obey, our complaints against him, our propensity toward self-direction and self-fulfillment, all of these stem from a lack of knowledge of God. For if we knew him like we could and should, none of those things would be a problem. To know him is to lose all things that mean nothing and to gain something that means everything. Read about it in Philippians chapter 3 where the apostle adds up all of the benefits and advantages of his life. He draws the line under them and his summation of them all is manure. Dung. He says that's what they're worth. Compared to the one other thing on the side of the ledger, the other side of the ledger, knowing Christ. To know him is to lose all things that mean nothing and to gain something that means everything. I do feel sad for that grieving mother. I feel sad that she blames God for her daughter's death and expects God someday to give an account to her for why. Because she doesn't know God. And she misunderstands Him and the depth of love that she has, that He has for her. There may be somebody here who says, well, I'm kind of like that too. I don't know God very well. But the problem is I don't feel like I can know God very well. I'm too unworthy. Listen, God wants you to know him. 
And the degree of intimacy that you have with him is limited only by you. You, by your choices, determine the kind of knowledge you have of God. How intimate with God do you choose to be? There's a poem that captures the words from Psalm 46 that we sang earlier, Be still and know that I am God. It goes like this. I don't know the author. Be still and know that I am God. Where you now tread, I too have trod. I know your griefs. I have a part. I know the anguish of your heart. Did I not walk the toilsome road, a wanderer without abode? Did I not stand in Pilate's hall, though innocent, hear judgment fall? Did I not hang on yonder tree at Golgotha to die for thee? Did I not break the bars away on that first resurrection day? Ah, yes, my friend, I've journeyed far to break the might of death's cold bar. T'was all for you I paid the price. For you I made such sacrifice. In me you'll find your source of power to gird you in this trying hour. Let not your heart then troubled be. Believe in God, and so in me. Where you now tread, I too have trod. Be still, and know that I am God. Let's pray. It may be that you've come to this worship service today misunderstanding God. And your feelings are not too far from that grieving mother's, although the situation may be entirely different for you. Do you understand that our misunderstanding of God arises out of our lack of knowing Him? And that our greatest necessity, our highest privilege, is to know Him. And God invites you to know Him. And yet you find yourself today struggling and even fighting God. Be still and know that He is God. And open your heart to Him. If you've not received Him as your Savior and Lord, do that today. If you've done that, open your heart still further to Him now and ask Him to show Himself to you in a new and deeper way that you might truly know Him. Let's sing again that chorus. Standing together, please. Be still and know that I am God. While you're standing there with your head bowed, will you talk to the Lord? Ask his forgiveness for the complaints or the fears, the fighting, the struggling. How he loves you.
Oh, he would embrace you. He would wrap his arms around you today and whisper in your ear how much he loves you. If only you would let him close enough. Let him. Right now. Let him take you in his arms that you might know him better. Lord, we would trust you and not run. We would yield to you and not fight. We would know you and not any longer be blind. So teach us of yourself and bring us to that point in each of our spiritual journeys where we can acknowledge and will acknowledge our need and seek you with all of our hearts above everything else in the world and with nothing between us and all on the altar. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.